Welcome to New Catholic Church. You're listening to this week's sermon by Pastor. I've got a word. I think God's uh, speaking this morning. I think it's for quite a few of you. Um, for, for, for me too, for the church as well. Uh, and it's, it's related to what this song is talking about. When we've seen God move mountains and we know and trust we can see Him do it again. And the, the story that it reminds me of is, is when the Israelites were in Egypt. They needed a miracle. They needed God to get out. But as soon as they were out, they came across new mountains. And, and the irony here, and what, this is what God was speaking to me, and, and I believe to a lot of you this morning, the mountain that you're seeing in front of you right now is there because he moved the last one. You're, you're in front of a new mountain. You need God to move again, but you wouldn't be facing this one if he hadn't moved the last one. Because he's taking us somewhere. He has a place for you to go. He's leading you. And you can look back at the mountains that have fallen in his path as he's taken you. And we give him glory and we give him praise for those. And now we look at the new one and say, God, we need you again. And the truth is, we need him every single day. But he's moving the mountain again. And guess what? There's going to be another one. But he promises he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Lord, we just come before you this morning, Father. We come before you with a heart of gratitude for what you've done in the past, Lord. But you're not staying in the past. We're standing before a new mountain today because you moved mountain after mountain after mountain, Lord. And we need you today to move this mountain. And we believe, we trust, and know for a fact that you're going to do it again. We proclaim, Father, that you are victorious. You are Lord of all. And you are going to remove these mountains, Lord. And you're going to remove the next one and the next one and the next one. And we give you glory and we give you honor and we give you praise. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, let's give them praise this morning. Chris, thank you. Good morning. I want to confirm the word that Chris uh, was sharing with you earlier. But uh, mine came a little different, that, that I think saying the same thing. There is a, what I heard was, there's a fresh favor coming on this body. A fresh favor, God's favor. Uh, and I would just encourage you, if you're not a part and you've not, get connected. Plug in. There's something that's going to be taking place in the next few months to the year that uh, it's, going to be, it's going to be special. So I, I, I don't know any more than that, but I just kept hearing there's fresh favor. There's fresh favor on our pastor. And just understand that God is up to something. Um, there's a fresh wind blowing in our nation right now. God's on the move. Don't just believe everything you see in the news. God's on the move. And recognize that. All right? If you have your Bibles, let me invite you to turn to Luke chapter 17, Luke chapter 17, for the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about thanksgiving. It's living a life of gratitude in an ungrateful world. A life of gratitude in an ungrateful world. Which is easier for you, to be grateful or to complain? 
Come on, be honest. Yeah? Uh, I find it's much easier to see the negative than it is the positive, the wrong rather than the right. My concern is, is that we're being brainwashed with the negative and finding fault. We're looking for the catch in everything, the conspiracy. The dictionary defines complaining as an expression of unhappiness, dissatisfaction, or discontent. The world wants you to be discontent. They can sell you a lot of stuff by you being discontent. With contentment comes great gain. We live in a complaining, distrusting culture these days. We are being conditioned by our society to complain. We're bombarded continuously with what's wrong with everything and with everybody, even God. It's a dangerous thing not to be grateful. Romans chapter 1 verse 21. As Paul was writing his gospel to the Romans. And he was talking about the sin of mankind. He said for even though they knew God. They did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations. And their foolish heart was darkened. We live in dark days because man's heart is dark apart from Jesus Christ. Now all of us, since we were we little ones, we've been taught to say thank you. Halloween just just been gone, you know, and, and uh, they filled your bag. Trick or treat, you go up, they fill your bag. Now what do you say? Thank you. We teach each other. We... You know, it's, it's, all, it's a polite thing. It's a way of our culture. But you know, you can say thank you without being grateful. Like, thank you. <laughs> it doesn't mean that you're grateful. You can use the words. But gratitude is more than just saying thank you. Gratitude is more than just an action we decide on. You don't turn it on or turn it off by willpower. Gratitude is a feeling that rises unaided in the heart. It's a good feeling. It is a part of happiness. It's a form of delight. It's a feeling of delight directed toward another person for giving or doing something good for you. Not merely because of the gift, but from the act of giving. The goodness, the wonder of it. And especially when you know that you don't deserve it. The word gratitude in the Greek has the root word of grace. Grace. When you encounter grace, the rebound to grace is gratitude. I want to show you from Scripture this morning... A picture of gratitude. Found in Luke chapter 17, verse 11. We're going to start reading. I'm going to read the entire passage and then we're going to go back and talk about it. So if you'll find in Luke chapter 17, verse 11. Now it happened as Jesus went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. 
And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. I want you to bow with me in prayer for just a moment. Father, I'm praying that this morning, this familiar passage of Scripture would literally come off the page into our life. I pray that you would, that you would enter into these words, that we would experience you, that we would encounter you. We would not just encounter truth and information, but we would come... We would encounter the spirit of this passage in our lives. Father, I'm asking for you to do a work in our hearts as we hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let me set you the condition. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and he passes through the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he enters this village, there meets him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. They cry out for mercy. Most of us have heard stories in the Scripture concerning the horrors of having leprosy in biblical times. Not only was there the pain of the disease itself, it was literally an incurable disease. But there was also the stigma that went along with having the disease. The Mosaic Law pronounced a leper as being unclean. They couldn't enter the temple. They couldn't live with their families anymore. And the law required them to live outside of the city. And they had to cry out unclean whenever anyone came close to them. Tradition says they had to keep a hundred paces between them and anyone else. It was a life of separation of solitude, and yet they gathered together in their leprosy. Their community was unclean. In other words, if you were a leper during that time, you essentially lost everything. You lost your family, you lost your job, you lost your life. The law was very clear in Leviticus and in Numbers. But these men cry out, Instead of crying unclean that the law required them, they cried out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They must have heard of Jesus' reputation. They must have known. But the word Master, it indicated one who was super powerful, one who had power beyond what they could dream. Master, have mercy on us. In other words, we don't deserve it. We're in a dire state. The only hope for us is mercy. You see, that was their only hope. There was no way out of their dilemma. 
There were no cures. There were no solutions. Have mercy on us. It's a phrase citing their pitiful condition, indicating they can't do anything and they must depend upon someone with superior power to have even hope. And there's an amazing thing happens. The cleansing. Jesus, when he saw them, he told them, go show yourselves to the priest. That's the law again. When a person had was diagnosed with leprosy, it was a priest who diagnosed and declared them to be unclean. If they felt like they had been healed or if something, there's a lot of things that were skin diseases that were said to be leprosy that later on cleared up. And so they were to go back to the priest and they, they were not going back to the priest for healing. They were going back for inspection. And it was the priest then, the one who had declared them unclean, was the one who could declare them clean. It wasn't a matter of healing. It was a matter of declaration. In other words, if a priest said you were okay, you were okay. So, as they're going to the priest, the scripture says, as they went, they were cleansed. As they went, they were cleansed. They were healed. Now, what stuns me is the understatement of this. Now, here's the way I would have written Scripture. As they went, the sky grew dark, and the clouds rolled in, and the thunder, and with the thunder came a loud voice saying, Be healed in Jesus' name. That's what we expect. But that's not what... There wasn't any hoopla. There wasn't any fanfare. As they went, they were cleansed. I want you to listen to me. When Jesus said go, there was within the word go that was the power that was going to cleanse them before they got there. In other words, when Jesus speaks the word, there is power in that word to accomplish that for which it was spoken. When God gives you a word, when Jesus speaks a word to your life, I want you to understand, he's not saying go fulfill it. He's saying there's power in this word that I've given you to bring it to pass in your life. As they went, they were cleansed. They were whole. They were made whole physically. Just cleansing as they went. Let me tell you something. When you just step out and respond to the word, there's things that God's going to do whether you recognize it or not. But let's look at the one conversion. Verse 15. When one of them saw perceived that he was healed, he returned. He goes back to Jesus and he does three things. With a loud voice, he glorifies God. Literally in the Greek, it says with a loud voice, he makes God glorious. And then it says, and he falls on his face at Jesus' feet. He worships. And then it says, he give thanks. 
He couldn't restrain his praise. He couldn't restrain his worship. He couldn't restrain his thanks. But there's something more being said here in these three things that he's doing. He's on his way like everybody else. And when he perceives, when he comes to the realization that he is healed, he doesn't go on to the priests. He turns around and he returns to Jesus. And here's what I want you to see. All of a sudden, he's on his way. He understands something has taken place in his body. And he realizes the man who said the word was more than just a man. It wasn't like another priest that gave you orders to go do something else. It wasn't just a command. There was something about him. In other words, here's what he's saying. This man is different. He is the author and the finisher of my healing. He is the one to whom I got to know. He's God in flesh. He returns, and here's how I know that, because he makes God glorious. He falls on his feet in worship. Even a Samaritan knows you don't just worship anything. And he gives him thanks. But here's the point I want you to see. He saw Jesus suddenly for who he was. And by his posture... He's saying, I want to know you. I want a relationship with you. I want everything you've got to give. I don't want just healing. I want to know you. I submit to you. I acknowledge you. You are my God, my Lord, my Redeemer. It's no longer just about what had happened to him. It was about who was responsible for doing it. I acknowledge you. When the grace of Jesus penetrates the human heart, it rebounds back to God as gratitude. Gratitude is grace reflected back to God in the happiness we feel toward Jesus. It's not just about saying thank you. It is, oh my, OMG, oh my God, you are the one I want. I got healing, but you're who I want. And folks, listen to me. We sometimes don't realize that it wasn't just that he was thankful. He wanted Jesus. And Jesus asked some questions. Were there not ten cleansed? Literally in the Greek. I love the original languages. There were ten cleansed, weren't there? In other words, the way the question was stated in Greek, it's, it's requiring an affirmative answer. In other words, yes. The ten were cleansed, weren't they? But where are the nine? Literally again, the nine are where? Now, most of my life, if I've read this story, and I've read it many times, I've preached it many times, most of the time when I read this passage, I somehow made the nine to be bad guys. Have you ever done that? Made the nine because they didn't turn around and go back to Jesus like this one did. I mean, how dumb can you be? Right? I mean, you just got healed. You're on your... No, they were obeying the law. They were doing what Jesus told them to do. 
And then all of a sudden, this time as I was studying it, I read it, not so much that Jesus, Jesus wasn't talking to them. He was talking to this one. And all of a sudden, I saw it. Jesus wasn't asking the questions for, a, for an answer. He was asking the questions so the man would say, so Jesus could see the difference in him. The difference in him. Why did you turn around? Nine, ten were healed, weren't they? Where are the others? Why did you come back? It was Jesus giving an opportunity for the man to see the authenticity of his revelation. Do you understand what you've just what you're doing? Do you get it? And let me just tell you this. Let me just take the nine off the hook. I bet you every one of them were thankful they were healed. They were thankful they could go back to their families. They were thankful that they could do. What was the difference? What was the difference in the nine and this one that was converted? What was the difference? The difference was they were obeying the law. He was coming to Jesus. You know, and he, and he was a Samaritan. Was there anyone, the only one that came back to glorify God was this foreigner? He wasn't a covenant person. He wasn't a man, a man of promise. In fact, had he gone back with the other nine, had he gone back with them and gone to be, he couldn't even enter into where the priests were. He would have been out here in the Gentile court. He couldn't enter the Holy of Holies. But isn't it amazing? Jesus saying, do you realize what you just got? What you couldn't get into in Jerusalem, you stepped into with me. You stepped into the Holy of Holies. You've got to realize that Jesus is saying something this, to this man that you need to hear this morning. There's something different about you. There's an opportunity that he's giving you. It's not just about healing and it's not just about cleansing. There's an opportunity here for you to respond to Jesus. Jesus asked him, well, what was the difference? Here's the difference in the nine and this man. The nine had gotten what they wanted. They got cleansing. They may have gotten the declaration that they could go back to their families. They probably could because as they went, they were cleansed, the Scripture says. They'd gotten what they They got mercy. They got cleansing. They got healing. But there's no indication there was any desire to fall down. There was no indication that there was any desire to worship. No desire to make God glorious. They just got what they wanted. They got what they wanted. How many people in our world today who named the name of Jesus just got what they wanted? They didn't want to go to hell when they died. They got what they wanted. They wanted to be a different person. They got what they wanted. They wanted to be a better person. They got what they wanted. They wanted to be healed. They wanted to be cleansed. They wanted to be forgiven. But what they missed was the reality of Jesus. And Jesus turns to this man after the questions and he, he makes this declaration. 
this Samaritan, this foreigner, the one who was outside of covenant, outside the people of God, outside the promises, outside of adoption, he was the one who returned to Jesus. He's the one who made God glorious with a loud voice and fell at his feet and gave him thanks. And in verse 19, Jesus says this, and he said to them, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. Now, the English here is missing it. The Greek word here that's used, here's what the message translation says. Get up on your way, your faith has healed and saved you. All of them were well now, because as they were going, they were cleansed. There's a wellness beyond wellness. There's a wellness beyond health. There's a wellness beyond getting your problem solved. There's a wellness beyond, there's a wholeness beyond just having what you want. The Greek word here is not I owe my, I It's verse, it's healing in verse 15. Nor is it katharizo. We can speak in tongues in New Covenant. And you can't understand it either. It was the word cleansed, verses 14 and 17. It's a totally different word. It's the word sozo. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus is dealing with this woman and he says to this woman, Your faith has saved you. And here in Luke 17, he says, Your faith has made you well. But the word well and saved are both the same word in the Greek. In other words, what Jesus was saying to him is not only did your faith make you whole, you not only are you healed, but you are delivered. You are saved. It's the word of salvation, of wholeness, God's kind of wholeness. Ten men were cleansed, but only one man became whole. God's kind of whole. Warren Wiersbe says the Samaritan's nine friends had been declared clean by the priest. He was declared saved by the Son of God. And the faith, your faith has saved you. Faith wasn't believing that he could be healed or even that Jesus could heal him. The other men believed that or they wouldn't have went. Faith here was him recognizing who Jesus is and responding in worship and in gratitude. It was because of who Jesus is that he could do what he could do, save. His faith, and I'll tell you what biblical faith is. Biblical faith is recognizing Jesus for who he is and accepting that all he is he can do and has done. Faith is not believing a prescription. Do you believe that Jesus lived? Do you believe that Jesus died? Do you believe that Jesus rose from the grave? Do you believe that he's coming again? Faith doesn't just make mental assent to those things. Faith is really depending on the Jesus who lived, the Jesus who died, the Jesus who rose, and the Jesus who's coming again. Faith is a relationship. It's a response to God for who he is. Jesus declares him saved. I want you to hear me. The sad thing 
is that so many in our world today are satisfied with cleansing, satisfied with healing, satisfied with blessings, satisfied with the provisions, satisfied with the temporary. Did you know all ten of these men are going to die? They may not die of leprosy, but they're going to die. All ten. And all of us, unless he comes again, all of us are going to die. All of the temporary blessings, all of the healings, everything that we've ever experienced, all the goodness that God has bestowed upon us, all of that is temporary. What is eternal is the life of Jesus Christ in you. He came to give you what could never be taken away from you. Life eternal. And if you get satisfied with all the temporary and miss the eternal, you've missed what He came to bring and what He's got to give. You do know all of us are lepers. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all were in the state of this ten. We all were separated from God, separated from the family He intended us to be a part of, separated by our own sin, by our own disease. We were all there. And it was while we were yet sinners, while we were there, while we were lepers at the greatest extent in every sense of the word, while we, Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us much more than. Having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. Not just that we'll be saved from wrath, we'll be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled or brought back to God through the death of His Son, much more now, having been reconciled, brought back, we shall be saved, delivered by His life. Folks, what's going to deliver you into the fullness of what God has is not His forgiveness, it's His life. While we were lepers in every sense of the word, Christ died for us, not just to give us forgiveness for our past, but life, eternal life, His very life. The wonder of wonders was that the Creator of all of us would want us to be called His sons and daughters, to be brought back into a family fully restored, fully desired, fully loved. And He gives us His life, not just for time, but for eternity. Amazing grace. And if you really experience it, it will rebound in gratitude. There's two levels of gratitude. Level one, gratitude is thankful for the life you have. Excuse me, thankful for what you have in life. Level one is thankful for what you have in life. The blessings, the circumstances, the possessions, the accomplishments, the healths. This kind of gratitude, though, is very fragile. If you're thankful for what you have in life, it's very fragile because all it takes to upset that 
is a change in your circumstances or a change in your health or a change in your possessions or a change in your jobs or a change in your focus. It can change everything. And suddenly you go from gratitude to grumpiness. Level two gratitude is thankful for the life you have. It's recognizing that you can feel good about life itself, for existence, for anything and everything you experience. It's like waking up in the morning and saying, wow, I'm here. And everything I get to experience today is a gift of God. It doesn't mean everything's good. It could mean it's another day of pain. But I've got another day to live my life looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. I'm standing on the promises of God. I'm trusting Him. He is my life. And recognize that everything that can come your way is passing through the hands of you. Do you realize if anything gets to you as a child of God, it passes through His hands? And if it passes through His hands, and using Chris's illustration, if that mountain that was before you before is now removed, is because God intended you to face that mountain and watch Him remove it. And that mountain you're facing right now, those things in your life right now you're facing, I want you to know God's big enough to use that mountain in your life to teach, him, teach you something about Him and something about you. <coughs> Level two is recognizing the giver of life with the humility to trust that He's good and that he's, he, it is He that has given you this life to live. And when you practice that kind of level two, two gratitude, it develops into an attitude of worship. I read a story of a teacher who asked her students to list what they thought were the seven wonders of the world presently. The students wrote down on their paper and they cast votes and they came up with the pyramids in Egypt, Dodge the Mahal, the, Great, the Grand Canyon, the Panama Canal, the Empire State Building and the tallest building in the world, which is the Burj Khalifa, St. Peter's Basilica, and China's Great Wall. While the teacher was gathering all the votes, the teacher noted that one of the students had not turned in the paper yet. She asked the girl if she was having trouble with her list. And she said, yes, a little. I couldn't quite make up my mind because there's so many wonders. Well, why don't you tell us what you have and maybe we can help. The girl hesitated. And then she read from her list, I think the seven wonders of the world are to see, to hear. To touch, to taste, to feel, to laugh, to love. Aren't those wonders? It's level two gratitude. It's not what I don't have. It's what I've been given. Life. I wonder, my prayer is, is that you would find yourself in this story. 
I wonder which of these groups would you be in? Would you be with the nine hurrying to the priest to confirm your healing? Would you win the one that turned around, recognize that there is one, that you owe everything, your whole being, one you want to know more than anybody else, one that because of who he is, he does what he does, one who wants to make God glorious. Would I have been the one who turned around and found Jesus? Or would I have just progressed on my way, obeying the last word I got, thankful for what I have? It's never too late to recognize Jesus for who he is. You may have had a glimpse when you were a child. You may have had a recovery as a teenager. As a young adult, you may have had the deliverance of recognizing that life didn't work for you. You had to work at life. You may have been an old man like me that recognizes that what it really boils down to the nitty-gritty, it's just about Jesus. He's enough. And I'm alive with his life I wonder today would you run and fall at his feet or are you just satisfied with what you have let's pray Lord it's that level 2 gratitude that unlocks the fullness of life It turns what we have into enough and more. It turns denial into acceptance and chaos to order, confusion to clarity. It's that gratitude that can turn a meal into a feast, a house into a home, a stranger into a friend, a gratitude that makes sense of our past, brings peace for today, and creates vision for tomorrow. God, would you give us gratitude for the life you give us in your Son, Jesus Christ. Would you let us be made whole today? Really whole. God's kind of whole. And may you do it for your name's sake and for our good. Would we be able to walk out of this place and make God glorious with a loud voice? Because we fell at his feet and we've given him thanks. Work it in our lives, Lord, because that's who you are. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand together with me? And as Theron leads us in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to a practical. There's 18 days left to Thanksgiving. 18 days. Would you think of three things about your life Not about what your stuff, but three things about your life. Every day, three different things and write them down. Just three. Now, tomorrow, don't think of ten. Just think of three. Write it down. Since the year 2000, psychologists have been discovering what the Bible has always taught. A thankful heart.
truly changes a life. And they found by people just writing down three things a day for a week changed their whole attitude about their living. Not your stuff, about your life. And who's our life? Jesus. Three a day for 18 days. It might make Thanksgiving a glorious occasion in your life. If there and sings, if you have need, we have ministry teams available to pray with you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information or to listen to past sermons, go to newcovenantlampasses.com.